Welcome to People Data Insights. This is your host, Paul Ryman, founder and managing partner of Novo Insights. Thanks for joining once again. Well, today I'm excited to talk about uh, a research study that we just published the results um, where we were studying the size and growth and characteristics of the compensation function. Now, for those of you who are not in compensation, I'd encourage you to not go ahead and stop listening, as I do think there's some lessons learned about how you know, work is structured within a people team, how teams grow, some of the characteristics of how that work changes across industries, across sizes, et cetera. So this isn't just for comp people. Certainly your uh, heads of HR, those who are focused on the functional efficiency of HR, you know, this is an episode for you. But I'm excited to jump into these results. Um, they've been shared with those who participated uh, already at this point. Uh, but you can access the full version of this, uh, this summary research uh, by going to our website. I'll put that in the show notes where there's a link to that um, where you can download the full story. But on this podcast, my goal is just to give you an insight, an overview of what we learned, what we saw, and, um, and you can download the rest and read the rest. So just for a little bit of background, you know, why did this come about? I think what I'm hearing from a lot of teams these days, especially you know, earlier this calendar year when we weren't really sure where the economy was going was like, how do I think about resourcing? If somebody leaves, should I replace them? Um, I've got a lot going on. You know, pay transparency is really driving a ton of interest in our work, a lot of uh, work product being expected of us. So do I need to invest in that? But I want to be careful about adding heads. Um, You know, how should I think about the scope and function and resourcing of my compensation team? I, I saw that there's some research and some benchmarks about sizes of HR, but not necessarily a lot around how many comp people should you need. Um, so I said, okay, let me explore that. Let me let me do some research on it. It just so happens somebody posted the same question in a World at Work forum, literally at the same time. So I'm like, clearly this is you know a, of interest to a number of folks. Um, there are some who would say it's an impossible question to really answer, right? So like how big should your comp team be or how big should any team within the people function be, you know, always gets that it depends answer. And certainly there's some truth to that where the way that you do the work, the, the, the level of touch that's provided to your customer, whoever that customer might be, um, you know, what role does technology play or not play in, um, in the delivery of your work product, of course, affects the, the staffing of the team. And I think what you see as we get into the results of the study, we'll see that that flavors into the variance that we see within uh, responses, right? So a compensation team of three at the same size company as somebody who happens to have six resources, some of that can be explained simply by how they do their work, what's in their portfolio, what's not in their portfolio. So we understand that that's a, a, a part of what flavors that, but I do believe that we can still learn from that, um, rather than just assuming, oh, you can't solve this problem, you can't answer the question about how big your comp team should be. We can at least produce some valuable insights around the what, what's prevalent. How many people are there in teams around the economy? So we we posted a survey, uh, a majority of which are from LinkedIn posts. You know, my own, a few of them, plus shares. That generated, I don't know, maybe fifteen to 20,000 impressions at last check. Um, I can't check the impression counts of posts that aren't my own, but um, that's a, a good estimate. Um, as well as some emails to my own contact list and some others that, that to populate the survey. 
Um, I, I recognize this creates a, a source of bias in the data potentially, right? So it's going to be flavored by those who are in my network, um, which might be one form of comp team, might be one form of people team. Hard to say for sure. Um, we did get several hundred responses, um, many of which we had to disqualify, unfortunately, as just not being clean. Um, come on, people, you know who you are, right? When you answer a survey, it's highly unlikely that you have more compensation people than you have HR people. Uh, and certainly not likely that you have more comp people than employees. And when those uh, clarifications went unanswered, we had to disqualify those results. So we ended up with just under 300 um, responses of good, clean data across different organization sizes, across industries, um, for us to analyze the, the staffing of the function and some of the drivers uh, that go into that staffing level. In the survey, we asked about how many people you have, right? both your comp team, your HR team, and all the employees in your organization. We asked sort of where you're headquartered and where you have those resources in different regions around the world. And then we also asked about, you know, a couple of things uh, as context. So one is, do you feel overstaffed or understaffed? You know, or is it about right? Just to get a sense of, is this number perceived as low, perceived as high? And we asked about the use of technology and whether technology has been deployed across four categories that I'll talk more about um, as you're looking to scale and improve the quality of your compensation work. So that's the, the types of questions that we asked. Let me give you some kind of bottom line on top statistics, and then we'll kind of walk through the flavoring of what we see underneath some of those statistics. So bottom line on top, how big should the, the comp function be? We measured that based on how many employees are there as a proportion of comp professionals. So just as an example of the math, if I have 3,000 employees and I have three comp professionals, the outcome statistic is 1,000. There's 1,000 employees for every one comp professional. What we see, just to illustrate sort of the variance in the data across all organizations of different sizes, industry groups, global or not, um, the 10th the percentile among that is 300 to 1, uh, which would be a well-staffed comp function, right? Meaning a lower number is more comp relative to employees. The, the 90th percentile is nearly 4,000. Uh, 4,000 employees to one comp professional, with the median being about 1,100. So that's across all organizations. You just take a random basket of all these companies, um, and that's where you see in the middle. But that's a huge variance from you know, the most resourced to the less resourced. So we then looked at, well, what are the drivers of that variance? And are there clusters within that, the whole data set where we see different characteristics about the staffing level and about how staff grows as the organization grows? And what we observed is there's really a few different drivers, and they're kind of in this order um, of <clears throat> impact on everything. So the first is sort of the journey to scale. So if you have under 1,500 employees, you see very different staffing patterns and outcomes than if you're over 1,500. And, and the reason for that, if you think about what that median kind of ratio is to start, one to uh, 1,141, that means you have one. <laughs> and, you know, one's not really the benchmark for companies under 1,500 employees. There's sort of a minimum amount of resourcing required uh, to do the work. But it's it's somewhat categorical, right? You have one, two, three, maybe four, right? Four is about as big as it gets for an organization at that size. So we'll talk more about that. But that's the first sort of key cluster is if you've got less than 1,500 people, versus more than 1,500 people. We saw very different response patterns. 
The second is certain industries. Um, the phrase that we use in the study is high density industries. Um, that's a made up term, fully admit that. Um, but the premise behind it is industries where your workforce tends to be comprised of a large number of a relatively small number of jobs that have similar pay characteristics. Sometimes it's minimum wage workers. Sometimes it's, you know, very driven by a certain market rate in the local place workers. And these are things like retail, uh, food service, hospitality, hotels, um, you know, manufacturing roles, um, you know, in the field, things like that. So where there's a lot of density to the job. And I contrast that with, you know, professional service organizations, um, pharmaceutical companies, utilities, tech companies, where, you know, the density of workforce relative to the number of jobs is different. So when you think about it as a comp leader, right, the, the unit of work often is a job, not an employee. So we have to segment the data and we see different characteristics when you look at the high density industries versus all others. We did analyze tech as a separate cut to an extent, but you don't see as much of a difference there uh, compared to others uh, as you might expect. So the results do call out tech quite a bit, but whether or not you're in one of these high density industries makes a bigger impact. And then the third sort of cluster that we saw with modest differences, so lesser than these first two things, around 1,500 in the industry, is globalness, right? So if you're just in one place, if you're just in North America, if you're just in Europe versus you're spread out around the world, that seems to be kind of a driver of uh, what your comp staffing ratio looks like. So that's, you know, the, the, the things that drive. So let me just throw off a couple of stats to illustrate the differences that those tend to project. So I mentioned the median. I'll just cite medians uh, for a second. The median of the overall data set was, you know, 1,100 or so uh, employees per comp professional. If you're under 1,500 employees, that median is more like 440 um, employees per comp professional. So pretty big difference. Whereas if you're over, that median is more like 1,600 employees per comp professional. Again, with huge variance based on industry and that size group. If I focus just on the big companies, the over 1,500, that, those high-density industries, the median is 2,450. Uh, very different than you know, 800 or closer to uh, 1,000 for the other kind of non-tech uh, industries. So big differences um, predicted based on that. And then global organizations, um, it's just really on the margin, honestly. A global organization just tends to have uh, slightly more on the margin uh, comp professionals just to manage that spread. All of the details are in uh, the results. We also looked at, just in terms of raw benchmarks, you know, how does the comp team sit as a percent of the overall HR team? And you don't see quite the same drivers here that you see on the sort of comp staffing overall, meaning that the composition of HR relative to employee size, relative to industry, doesn't follow exactly the same patterns. And we didn't ask as many questions about the broader HR team. That wasn't the focus of our study. Um, but what we do see is just kind of top-line results. About 6% of the HR team tends to be comp people, um, with the 10th to 90th percentile range being 2% to 15%. That's still a pretty wide variance. Um, some of that variance absolutely can be predicted um, by the same factors as before, so it tends to be slightly higher as a percentage, more like 8% if you've got under 1,500 people, meaning it's a, a function that tends to be resourced first compared to some other ones. Um, and it's you know more like 5% for 
for uh, those bigger organizations that are over 1,500 employees. But less of, less of it is explained by some of these high-density industry issues or globalness uh, because those issues tend to affect all parts of HR, not just the compensation function. So that's um, you know some top-line benchmark statistics, if you will. I think it's worth talking about what you'll see still is a lot of variance within that. So how is it that you can have such different uh, staffing levels within the same industry, the same size organization on a global basis? Um, and I think that's because of the, the composition of work. The way that that work gets done is pretty different across companies. Um, and even the portfolio of work. You know, Certainly when you're small, a lot of the tasks that eventually find their way to comp might be done by another part of HR, just an HR leader, a solo HR leader, or a finance person. So in the, in the research study, we present a framework around the work of compensation that you know, breaks the, work, the workload into four pieces. And I would encourage all comp leaders and HR leaders to think about what are the, you know, the items in the catalog in each of these areas um, so that you understand the shape of your function and what, how are you spending your time? What are you investing in? And the four buckets are kind of recurring transactional work, right? So that's the administration and execution of ongoing tasks, like creating job codes and consulting on offers and approving things and processing vestings or whatever that might be. The second category are recurring programs. So these are the kind of periodic work that fuels your philosophy and your operations. Think like the annual cycle, if you're a public company, the comp committee engagement, survey submissions, you know, these are the things that just happen. They are part of the deal <laughs> of being a comp team, and they recur throughout, you know, your cycle. The third are projects. Um, so episodic, it, it, this can be both proactive or reactive things. So either you've decided to take this on or you've been asked to do it, but they're explorations and sort of process improvement or change initiatives to solve a problem, right? So you see something and you're like, oh, we could do better at that. Let's, let's do this, like uh, supporting a reorg or a special market study or creating a new program for early career talent or whatever that might be. And then the fourth category is what we call investments, so kind of transformational change and innovation. So the new stuff, they're not just projects because they're, they're broader in scope. They tend to be more multifaceted across HR functions around other business functions. You know, things like implementing a new job architecture or absorbing the impacts of pay transparency and really using that as an opportunity to invest in, in, and speak differently with the workforce. So if you think about those four buckets of work, you know, a lot of organizations get bogged down in the recurring transactional. And those are headcount drivers. They all require time. They all require resources. And the more of that that you do, the more resources you will need. Whereas I think about comp functions that I've built over time, I like to call them enabling comp functions, which are more about guiding programs, driving programs, focusing on innovation and change, and minimize the amount of recurring transactional work that's required. And when I say minimize, it's either make it go away or find more efficient ways to do that, either via self-service or, or other resources. Um, that is a very different resourcing profile than if you're trying to take on all that work yourself. So that's what drives the variance in, that, in those benchmarks. That's what drives differences in the size of the comp team. So that said, we couldn't help but uh, nerd out a little bit on the data and say, well, you know what, how do we think about this within those buckets or as an organization grows and scales? How, how should my comp team grow? What, 
what size should my comp team be, kind of given some characteristics that exist. Um, so we did look at the data set and conducted a series of analyses uh, within those clusters that I described and across those clusters to develop a formula, which is if I had to predict how many people you should have, or you do have, I shouldn't say should have, how many people you do have um, based on these characteristics, what would that be? Um, and the formula basically is around the number of employees, whether you're in that high-density industry and whether you're global. Um, the I won't get into the kind of coefficients of the specific formula and, and how to think about it. It's just too hard to do an audio. I'd encourage you to download the report um, to, to find out. But one, one important takeaway that's worth verbalizing here on the podcast is it is not pr directly proportional to the number of employees in a linear sense. So what we see in the data is you don't grow for every 1,000 employees at another comp person or anything like that. Um, the, the relationship that we saw is that there was a, a better correlation to growth in the number of comp people based on the square root of the number of employees. Um, you know, There's some math behind that in terms of why you transform the data in that way um, I think that the key point, though, is that it's an exponential relationship, right? It is not a linear one because you should get economies of scale as an organization grows. You do get greater job density, more employees per job as an organization scales. And as a result, you shouldn't have to add comp resources to the same extent when you move from, you know, 70,000 to 71,000 employees than if you move from 1,000 to 2,000 employees. It's a very different experience. Um, so that's one of the kind of the features of the algorithm is understanding as the square root of your number of employees changes and whether or not you're in these high density industries or global, what does that mean in terms of the range of people that we would expect? So just as a couple of examples, if you've got, you know, 1400 employees and you're not in one of those high density industries and you're not global, so you're a, basically a single region tech company with 1,400 people, we'd expect you to have two or three comp folks. You might have one, you might have four, but by and large, that's what you would expect is two or three. If I change that and say, now I've got 8,000 employees and I'm a global company, but I'm still you know, a tech company, I'd expect you to look more like seven, or not, seven to nine, seven, eight or nine comp professionals based on the data that we saw. And then on the furthest extent, if I'm a, you know, a 50,000 person uh, you know, restaurant company just in um, the United States or just in one country, you know, that, that number goes up from what we just cited as the tech company that's smaller, but it might be more like 10 to 15 people for 50,000 employees because you've got that high density uh, characteristic around the jobs. So that's just some examples of how the algorithm plays out across uh, the data set that we saw. We did learn about a few other things um, in the research, just in terms of other questions we asked and what um, the comp profession is basically telling us about their staffing levels. So the, the first thing is that half of you feel understaffed. 48% <laughs> of responses indicate feeling understaffed. Just 3% indicated being overstaffed, which is not surprising. Most people don't feel overstaffed. And given the volume of work, um, that's you know occurring these days, in particular around pay transparency and other things. It, it's pretty human to to feel under resourced at this point in time. Really, the only notable variance within the population around you know feeling over or understaffed was in these high density industries, where it's more even more likely that you feel understaffed. Um, Seventy percent citing they feel 
understaffed um, in the high density industries. Um, Around the use of technology, um, overall we found that two-thirds of organizations report having at least some technology to power their function. Um, now when we talk about technology, we asked about it in terms of four different categories, essentially. Um, you know, what are the types of tech that you might use? So let me just define those quickly because I'm going to talk about them a bit more. You know, one is market management, right? So it's the tools you use to benchmark and develop competitive ranges around the market. So understanding and using market data. The second is what we call site management, which are those tools you use to manage the decision process, the year-end cycle, you know, for base bonus equity, whatever programs you might have. The third is pay analytics. So whether it's pay equity or other types of analytics, but those kind of fit for purpose platforms to analyze more deeply your current state and potential changes to comp. And the fourth was around pay communications, whether it's reward statements, visual offer letters, you know, other tools to communicate what's going on within a comp program. So two-thirds of organizations reported having at least some, at least one of those uh, types of programs. Um, we did see a small skew towards bigger companies being more likely to have tech. Um, so 72% of those organizations over 1,500 employees cited having some tech, whereas uh, only 56% of organizations under 1,500 employees had some form of tech. One thing that was kind of surprising is I expected to see that, you know, all else being equal, if you are deploying technology, maybe you have fewer people. So, you know, using math speak, if I include having tech as a variable in the regression model, I would have expected that to have a coefficient, meaning, um, yes, you have tech. As a result, you have fewer comp people, right? I, I hypothesized it would be a driver of efficiency. We don't see that. Um, it doesn't come out in this sample. It doesn't mean it's not true, and I think there's limitations in how we ask about it. You know, if you flavor in, <clears throat> it might be that somebody, um, you know, recently adopted it and hasn't reshaped or... <laughs> Uh, you know, episodically is short on people. Who knows? It's hard to know for sure what drives that. And because we're talking about relatively discrete numbers for a lot of smaller organizations, having one, two, or three people, sometimes tech just doesn't allow you to reduce heads. It just allows you to spend your time differently. So it's maybe it shouldn't have been as surprising, but I expected to see some sort of relationship there, but we did not see it. Um, one thing we did see, though, was if you... If you have technology, you are less likely to feel understaffed. Um, so it does give you an indication that you feel a little bit better about what you've got. Um, you know, but it, we couldn't see evidence that it actually changed your staffing level, more that it felt it impacted your perception of staffing. So if two-thirds of organizations you know, had at least some tech, um, we also asked about, like, in which of these categories have you deployed tech? Um, and what we found is most have basically touched one or two of the four categories that we described. 41% of those that have tech just have one of those categories. Um, and another 33% have two. So 74%, three quarters of the sample of those having tech are basically in one or two places. When you have one kind of technology, it tends to be market management. So most organizations start with, you know, benchmark management, tools to understand what's going on uh, in the market. You might 
have as a close second some cycle management technology. So it's, you know, half of organizations start with market management uh, and 40% were around the cycle management. Very few started with analytics or, or communications. When you add a second kind, it's almost always the other one, <laughs> right? So if you start with market management, the second one is cycle management. And if you start with cycle management, it tends to be market management. So when you look at the people that have two kinds, you know, almost all of it is covered by those two categories. Um, not surprising, those are the real kind of pain point drivers and the traditional products of the compensation function. So it's just more likely that over time, that's where uh, investment has been deployed. Um, the remaining quarter of the population either have deployed three or four. Um, the thing that we observe there is that the least likely is a pay communications tool. So that's still a relatively small practice. Um, and it tends to come after you've already addressed all of the, the other needs around market management, cycle management, and pay analytics. All of those trends around technology usage, generally speaking, the rate of adoption, were pretty stable across company sizes and industries. So no notable pattern differences where you know tech companies tend to invest in communication tools sooner. <clears throat> That's not the case. Um, this is really kind of a sample-wide phenomenon in terms of that tech adoption. The final thing we asked about is around outsourcing and the extent to which uh, your headcount numbers basically don't reflect some of the work that's happening. Um, about 10% of organizations indicated some form of outsourcing for compensation. We didn't give a whole lot of guidance there in terms of what we meant by that. That was intentional. We erred on the side of keeping the research simple. Um, you know, So it's unclear how to break that down a bit further. That said, you know, this is a biased opinion because this is kind of what we do here at Novo Insights, but we do see value in particularly among smaller organizations that you're, you're operating in incremental single heads, right? Can I have two people or three people? Sometimes it's tough to match the right skills that you need in that incremental head and using some form of fractional expertise or outsourcing can add a ton of value for those organizations. So that's a quick flyby of the study results. Um, I'd encourage you to go to our website, link in the show notes, where you can download a paper that shows you know, all of this and some more uh, so that you've got it for your reference. Participants in the study also got some additional benchmarks and um, a calculator uh, that puts the algorithm into play so that they can really understand where they fall relative to these benchmarks. We do these surveys periodically. You know, we're a, an insight-based organization. We're always about finding data, creating data um, that helps people make decisions differently than they used to before. So rather than having an it-depends answer, we thought it was important to actually gather some information about the size of the comp function. If you want to hear more about these things, right, if you want to stay in touch with us around the surveys we conduct, the benchmarks we're trying to create, just reach out. Best way is either to me personally, paul at novoinsights.com, or to the broader team at support at novoinsights.com so that we can have you on our list of invitations that go out in the future. Just let us know what you're looking for. And you know we're also a small and agile organization, and we're happy to invest uh, in the things that matter to our clients and to the industry. So if there's a, a topic of interest, let us know, and uh, we might be interested in conducting a survey and some research on it just the same. As always, thanks for listening. I'm uh, really excited about what we're building here at Novo Insights. Uh, the team is really excited about the growth we're experiencing with our clients and the impact we're making. If you want to hear more about what we do and how we do it, please feel free to reach out.
I'd like to think that our clients enjoy working with us and uh, we're not scary as we're getting to know one another and exploring how we can make an impact in your organization. So we'd love to hear from you. If you appreciated this podcast, of course, you can do the usual favors. Give it a like within your favorite podcast platform. Share it with your network on LinkedIn. Tell your mom about it and see if she wants to listen. Whatever makes sense to you. Uh, If you do so, just tag us. Let us know that you've done so so that we're aware and we can send you a thank you. Uh, I appreciate your time. Once again, thanks for listening. Until next time.